Welcome to this new episode of Icebreaking, the podcast in which we explore the field of ice and learn about education together. Today with me, I have a very special guest, a very dear guest, who originally comes from the field of development studies and humanitarian studies. The Master in International and Comparative Education is her second master, but her first master focusing on education. However, when we brainstorm about paper topics, her source of knowledge seems to be bottomless, and she is very aware of actual happenings in Sweden and anywhere in the world, really. Her special attention in the program goes to voter education, and if it's possible, in Myanmar. However, she is very passionate about voter education as a form of non-formal education for young voters all over the world. For me, voter education was quite an unknown topic until recently, and therefore I cannot wait to learn more about it today. And in this episode, we will be talking about the concept of voter education. So welcome, Hannah. So lovely to be here. I, I'm very honored that you are my guest because I just got to learn some interesting new knowledge about you. So we will be talking about that today, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Um, but before we start, I would like to introduce you with some quick fire questions so um, that the listeners have some, some background information about you. And I would like to know the first thing that, that comes up in your mind. So there we go. We start off easy. Where are you originally from? I am from Sweden. Um, and from the uh, outside area of Stockholm. So I'm from the archipelago there. Um, it's beautiful. Mm. And if you could live anywhere in the world, where would that be? Mm, very good question. I, I really like it here, <laughs> but I do have a soft spot for um, Asia in particular. Um, and I do, uh, I have a soft spot I say soft spot a lot now, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, but I do like uh, Southeast Asia and uh, I do like uh, many places of the world and I would like to travel more. Different places have different, um, so, uh, you know, um, are dear to me during different periods of time. Uh, so right now you I have been living uh, abroad quite a bit already, right? Yes, I have lived um, quite a few times in my life since an early age, my like one of my parents lived abroad um, for 16 years of my childhood. Um, uh, so they, they worked abroad. So we went and visited them uh, in mainly Austria and Belgium, mm -hmm. but a um, little bit, uh, I've traveled a little bit over, all over after that and studied in different places. So I've been very lucky in that sense too. Uh, yeah. And what's one thing about you that surprises people? that I'm so into secondhand that I am, uh, I don't know. I'm really into uh, circular uh, economics and um, like trying to live a sustainable lifestyle as possible. So I try to, before buying anything uh, new, I always try to buy secondhand. And um, I don't know if that's surprising, but um, that's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, it's great. You've, you've learned me a lot about that actually. <laughs> Exactly. I am. A, I'm a very like. I know that the concept of secondhand and uh, or vintage shopping, someone says, uh, or thrift shopping, uh, isn't available in all countries. But mm -hmm. where they do, uh, when I travel, I always go there first to uh, shop. Uh, so it's it's been I've been in quite a few vintage or uh, secondhand shops around the world, which is great because you find the most wonderful and odd things that you can. Uh, yeah, that you can 
Yeah, you're for me, you're like the secondhand shop guide in Stockholm. Yes. <laughs> as, as a listener, you cannot actually see this, but Hannah can see me and she knows that I am wearing a sweater right now that we actually purchased together last week in one of the, well, I would say most well-known chains of secondhand shops in Sweden, Mirorna. I think that one you're wearing is actually from the Red Cross. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other one. Okay, now you can read the other sweater is from Mirorna. <laughs> oh, God, that's so funny. Yeah. Well, oh, this podcast is off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, say it's unscripted. It's really unscripted. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. let's get back to the questions. Yeah. Um, which right, book right. are you currently reading? I am reading a book by Hans Rosling um, that was gifted um, by a friend of mine. It's called Factfulness. And um, I have read it before, um, certain, uh, but I'm now I'm rereading it again because I feel that um I just I want to absorb more I don't think like um like when you read something you get new perspectives uh on the book and the topic so I'm rereading his um his work basically that's great yeah and if you could be someone else for one day who would that be who would I like to be Mm. I don't know that's a very good question that I don't know how to answer really I, I would like to say like Beyonce or something but I don't know <laughs> if I want the paparazzi <laughs> um no I yeah I don't know it's a no. it's a tough question that I cannot answer no that's also an answer yeah um what inspires you acts of kindness I think that's very like people who do things um not out of any sense of profit or anything like that I follow I think that uh, my newsfeed is dominated by um, as you see it like any news outlet is dominated by you know sad things that happen around the world and very uh, real and um, sometimes horrifying things so things that inspire me are the the that counteracts that um, and like acts of kindness yeah that's yeah Let's see, what was your best subject in school? Let's go more superficial again. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was really good at art. Um, but uh, at, I come from an academic family. And I'm not saying that art is undervalued. Um, but it's art is something you should do for fun. And then you should pursue other things in your work life. Is kind of the attitude that I grew up with. Um so I really enjoy art. I still do. Um, I am privileged enough to have a little like paints and stuff at home and a little craft area. Um, so I really, I really enjoy that. And otherwise the social sciences, I, I was quite good at. Um, I'm really interested of like history and um, we in Swedish, we call it Samhällsvetenskap, mm-hmm. where you learn about the different aspects of society. Yeah. And what does education mean to you? Education is empowerment through and through. Uh, and ultimately, knowledge or obtaining knowledge is gaining power. If you have the knowledge of certain things or pursuing knowledge, then you're obtaining more power and more uh, ability to do things, which I think is extremely valuable for every one of us. We can't be experts in everything. So if we have people around us uh, knowing 
different aspects and such we, we we learn and we gain more power and understanding and we're able to wield that power in one way or another uh, which i'm also very super interested about um, yeah. so i think that it's um education is that it's beautiful said actually is that also why you're interested in, in voter education yes so um voter education is basically the knowledge how to participate in uh, democratic processes specifically uh, elections and it's basically how to in your country context how can you participate in the hopefully the democratic um, processes that are there so do you how do you find out how to if you're in a country that register to vote how do you register to vote are you eligible from birth are you do you need to um go to a polling station can you mail vote all these things how practically you can participate in the electoral process is crucial um to make a democracy or society work because one of the pillars of democracies is um, elections and to elect a, uh, a government that represents your wishes but if you don't have the knowledge or they're actively trying to hinder you from from participating in that process then um you're not like that function of democracy falls so we talk a lot about elections and how it's important, but it's super important also we know how to or gain that that power, I would say, um, and knowledge how to participate in this. And if we don't get that information, we can't. Um, and that's also like the people who work uh, in making elections happen, that they have the proper knowledge of the laws and things and making accessibility uh, for everyone, uh, no matter socioeconomic background, culture, a bit uh, like abilities, um, that it should be knowledge of election processes is for everyone. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah. And that aspect of it being for everyone, um, like, I think that voter education for you touches more the, the young voters or even adults. And it's, it's slightly different from schools actually. Yeah, so my I have for a very long time been interested in education in different forms of education. Yeah. But what I have been become really attached to is adult learning. And we we tend to focus when we talk about education, talk about primary and secondary education, formal schools, um, institutions that we see. All right, there are buildings there, there are schools there. And we think kind of we have I feel like as a societies we generally think that is education um, but lifelong learning we never stop learning so in our in the now sustainable development goals the goal that emphasize on education talks about quality education and talks about lifelong learning so learning doesn't stop when you stop going to school yeah. Uh, so I'm really curious about how how do we learn? How do we, as adults, take on new information and use it for our advantage? And when it comes to voter education, is it is crucial 
than societies that uh, have a democratic structures that adults know their rights, know how things function, uh, because the, things change. Um, I, I've worked with elections in Sweden since 2014, on and off. Most recently, I, I worked uh, at a local municipality with a referendum. Mm-hmm. And um, knowing how things work with the electoral process in these different elections is can vary. And having an informed public is super important to encourage pe- people to participate and enable people to participate. Um, But I've also like been an election observer uh, abroad uh, and seeing different electoral systems and how they work. And also seeing like how people absorb information differently on different, because it's like education is a very umbrella term. Education in like different cultures mean different things. That's the same thing with election processes or elections. Mm. They, they, you get the general idea what it means, but it can be completely um, executed in different ways. Same with education. Yeah. So if you compare Sweden and Finland, a neighboring country, a Scandinavian country, we do have very different uh, election processes. Yeah. In the sense that they, for example, can have uh, electronic votes, uh, and we do not. We have paper votes uh, or ballots. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, and learning about these different things is super interesting for me. Um, yeah, I like uh, to talk about. No, it. yeah, you're a very easy guest. I have to say, you <laughs> answer every question that comes up in my mind right away. Yeah, because if we take a step back, how was it for you to? to observe those elections here in Sweden and to work with these processes. How do you think that in Sweden, people gain knowledge about electoral processes and have their like access to voter education in that sense? It all comes down to the municipality um, that people live in and what kind of policies they have. But in general, the, in primary and secondary education uh, we learn have social sciences and we to a certain extent learn learn the how a democracy functions and the point of elections and we even have uh, but this is not a rule of thumb but some municipalities have mock elections where young or children or young adults have the possibility to participate in a a fake election at school where they can vote for the whale party or like the seal party and they have different policies for example and um, these uh, elections mm, makes people familiar how the process works but as a person who's worked at polling stations um, I've worked at quite a few elections at the polling station meeting um, people working uh, voting for the first time yeah uh, people are nervous people don't really know what's going to happen um, and ask for help often um, and I think that's great because then you learn yeah. but a, I, it would be even better if people knew those processes as soon as they like before they stepped into the polling station so that's why I think it's super important yeah and you said it it all comes down to the municipality is it also their role to educate us the municipalities has a central role in uh, delivering education on all levels right and 
whether they prioritize is like democratic uh, projects Mm -hmm. uh, is up to the municipality to decide but they can get a mandate from uh, the government to see we'd like you to do certain things yeah according to the school law and also for maybe highlighting certain aspects Um, and that could be a focus on democratic processes yeah and uh, so if the municipalities have the budget and the, the priority they can say okay we would really like to focus on delivering for example mock education or we want to make you know classes uh, school classes visit polling stations and such and they can do that but they are not obliged to do this uh, but what they are obliged is to talk about um uh, uh, elections and such uh, in their social science they're talked about basically um how elections came to be or, or like dem- democracies came to be and yeah so it's different level but one thing that's also i'm fascinated about is like the non-formal learning yeah so the non-formal learning tends to be things that we learn outside the walls of the school so that could be also information that you gain from your parents from different forms of media especially now social media is around and um news outlets and things and so i'm really intrigued on like where do people learn things today and where do we, as an evolving societies, where social media, for example, is impacting us, um, how do we learn? And how do we learn about democratic processes? Because we, we can see from the states, um, the United States had their elections, mm-hmm. and uh, you could see there were uh, efforts to discourage people to go to, not to go to vote yeah and people were given misinformation about how to register um that you could vote via text message and that would be and that all of that if you have the knowledge about the process then you can just say like that is not right yeah um because i feel like when it comes to upholding democracies and holding governments accountable in and anything really we need to have the knowledge how things should work right yeah yeah that's the empowerment that you you talked about before yeah and making like well um thought through decisions as an individual yeah i guess yeah or the, the ability to do that at least or the power to do it yeah. And that goes for any country. Uh, it's not exclusively for uh, Western, Eastern, Southern, Northern. I mean, it goes for without uh, knowing um, how to critique and hold governments uh, up to certain standards. We, uh, like, if we don't know how, how things should be, then we can't critique them and hold them, say, this is how it should be. Yeah. Um, and I lived in Myanmar mm-hmm. for a while um, in 2018-19. And uh, there was a coup in the beginning of 2021, yes. February, and which was motivated by uh, voter fraud officially. So the military junta went in and took over the newly elected government that was elected in November 2020 and said this election did not 
wasn't conducted fairly, therefore we'll take over and uh, proclaim a new election. So the counter reaction to that action, to the military going in and saying this is not right, is basically the government says, well, wait a second. Um, this is, wasn't an ideal election, but it was conducted during a pandemic and it was conducted as fair and free as possible under the circumstances. Armed with that knowledge, um, people started protesting the military and saying that the elected government should be installed and a non-violent movement started to form. And therefore, using the, the, the knowledge of how the voter education, basically, uh, they started protesting and getting international attention. And unfortunately, um, Myanmar's situation has not improved. Uh, military regime, uh, regime continues and uh, over a thousand people have died due to the attacks uh, on protesters. Yeah. Uh, which is very sad and it's uh, very strange that seeing my my shopping like my street where the like where the first uh streets that were filmed like where the protests were because i used to live near um the campus in yangon and mm -hmm. um, so i saw saw my building and my house in the background where people get fired at it was very strange yeah. surreal um but it's not about me. Uh, but yeah, so I'm very impressed, like that knowledge that they gained from the few elections they've had um, is very impressive and it shows the power of voter education and the value of it, that to stand up to um, evil forces that you have to have knowledge and you get that through education. Yes, absolutely. And um, how do you think that we can, contribute to that and especially to countries that are at danger of, of losing their democracy. I know that, for example, that the Sustainable Development Goals are goals to, well, maybe you can explain it better, like why do we have the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, as you called them before? So the SDGs, um, they are 17 goals that the United Nations have developed to basically reduce poverty, improve health and life on earth. And that includes a biological, um, like the, the natural environment, but also as, as people to live here and improve life quality. Yeah. And they, before that, um, they, uh, the sustainable development goals, were signed in uh, in 2015 and before that they had the millennium development goals um, where uh, they had worked in 15 years to uh, reduce poverty by half they didn't reach that goal but that was the end the end goal and um, I have always been passionate about development and um, for all in Sweden and like improved life standards here but all around the world and uh, the development goals they're all also like acknowledging different aspects. So um, the Millennium Development Goals were centered around eight goals. Yeah. And that is very generalistic. So in the Sustainable Development Goals, they focused or created 17 goals. 
which is more targeted and more specific. So they talk about biodiversity, but also, for example, education and quality of learning and, and pinpointing more on like, it's more not detailed because it's still general in sense, but it acknowledged um, gender equality. It uh, acknowledged um, peace institutions, the importance of, uh, importance of uh, institutions promoting peace, but also international partnership that trade agreements should be uh, fair. Yeah. And um, so it's very, uh, I would say, a more holistic approach than previously. Uh, and I'm very interested to see what, what comes after this. But yeah, so I was uh, in 2007, maybe. Uh, I was appointed the first Millennium Development Goal ambassador um, for Sweden's uh, United Nations Association. Mm-hmm. And I got to um, work with projects in, in Sweden, but ultimately I went and represented a, a Sweden in uh, India uh, at a UN Youth Conference uh, global summit there. And it was really interesting to see um, young people from all around the globe very passionate about bringing you know, better life quality for all and reducing poverty and discussing from a youth or young person's perspective, how could you do that? Because as we see now, young people say, we're going to inherit this earth for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we make it better? And I'm now the, the older generation, mm-hmm. um, I would say. Um, and it's very interesting to see like, okay, we had one perspective 10, 15 years ago. How has that changed? Yeah. Um, so I think the sustainable development goal is, uh, are very interesting and I'm very keen to see what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, they are a very holistic approach to make sure that we work towards a more sustainable future for everyone. Mm. That's interesting because we also have acknowledged that education is a big part of that. Um, and we call education towards sustainable development goals. We actually call it education for sustainable development or ESD. Because it's interesting, the shift between the millennium development goals and sustainable development goals, because yeah. the target in the millennium development goals is getting persons into school. Right. Yeah. And that was um, the, the discussion is like, OK, there's not enough to get people into the school building. Right you need to provide them quality education. And that's the shift from the millennium to the sustainable. Uh, Cause okay, it's not, it's, if you have people in class and they are not learning, but they're still in class. So tick the box there, that's not enough. You need actually get them to learn productively and sustainably and give them quality education. That's actually what counts, not how many people you get through the door. Yeah. So that's the shift between the two goals or like two groups of goals uh, i would say yeah and and also maybe that the lifelong learning concept that has gained a lot of popularity over the over the last years um and and to the importance of actually teaching adults outside of school yeah yeah and i think that um the the perspective of like education being for primary and secondary school like or or uh, childcare and kindergarten uh, or early years development. Uh, I think that was very much the focus and ha- I still focus now, but 
also the in sustainable development goals they recognize that adult learning so it could be vocational learning yeah. or learning about different processes or anything like that it that's of extreme value and yeah. uh, to societies to increase productivity and we are not only talking about attending university because that is not attainable or accessible for everyone no. but also putting value on different forms of education I think that's super important yeah so if you train to become a mechanic it's equally valuable to someone who owns the college degree because you know as our society looks like we need mechanics and it's super valuable skill and you could learn that uh, when you're 16 or when you're 55 I mean it's it's yeah I think that different forms of learning in different stages of lives should be equally valued. And that includes formal, informal and non-formal education. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's what also they try to stress in the SDGs uh, and maybe could be even more stressed. But I did a bit of research on disaster risk reduction education as a part of education for sustainable development. And in there, you already saw that they use kind of the communication channels that they have access to because of the primary schools and, and the secondary schools and educating children in school, uh, they use it also to get information to their parents and to the entire community. We should really value educating the entire community in that case about disaster risks or uh, natural hazards, but in this case also about voter education. I think they give us a lot of opportunities for that and that's something I think that we should really work more with in the future too. Yeah, I think it's holistic approaches to yeah. every form of education is really important. You and I previously have uh, talked about um, uh, my background in humanitarian studies or international humanitarian action and uh, that I've previously been interested in the field of dis disaster reduction. We've talked about that before. Yeah. And I think that um, if you're going to be prepared for different uh, events, uh, you need to make sure that everyone knows every, you know, are prepared, not even just not the adults, but you need to have like the kids and their elders and everyone uh, to have uh, knowledge about it. And it, it needs to start from the beginning from the beginning sounds really strange but from when you're young basically that's why we learn how to swim so if we go on a boat we know if something happens with a boat you know how to swim or it's a great metaphor yeah because i think that um as maybe that's because i'm i live on an island outside of <laughs> stockholm but it's it's a given that you learn how to swim while i have friends who come from island nations that don't know how to swim and um it's, I think it's just different attitudes like prioritizing. And what's really important is basically you need to see, okay, what do you need to function and protect yourself and to, you know, function in society as a whole? I think and that's actually a great takeaway message for today, um, what you're talking about, because we've talked about the the um, how education can empower people hmm. how we should have a holistic approach to education so we're not only talking about primary schools or secondary schools or uh, schools in general but we're talking about non-formal ways of learning at any age and how it is important for us to 
have access to that kind of education and, and gain knowledge in that way to be able to adapt to changing circumstances or to just any event in life, basically. So maybe we can end it with that. Wonderful. If you agree with that takeaway message, that is. I agree with that takeaway message. And I felt like um, I have just talked and talked and talked, but I'm glad well, you're listening. It's a podcast, so that yeah. is great. <laughs> and I just sat back and listened. And, <laughs> and you answered every question that I have. So I'm really really happy with um, our conversation and uh, as always I learned a lot from you today so thank you so much for being our guest in this podcast thank you and also thank you on the other side of the screen who's listening now for listening today and I hope that you tune in next time again <laughs>